Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Co-directors Ian Bahot and Peter Ategi, Rising Phoenix tells an extraordinary story of the Paralympic Games from the rubble of World War II to the third biggest sporting event on the planet, Paralympics sparked a global movement which continues to change the way we think about ability, disability, diversity, and human potential. The film features a whole slew of amazing athletes and people who are who are remarkable in other ways as well. This is a terrific documentary film. So happy and honored to have with us today the co-directors of Rising Phoenix in Bahota as well as Peter Hategi. But to both of you, welcome to Film School. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Really happy to be there. Thank you. Uh, well, I'll ask uh, uh, the, the basic question. How did this project come to you? I'll start with you, Peter. How did this happen? It, um, it basically, it was a project that came to us um, through, uh, initially through John Batsek, um, the, the producer, one of the great producers of documentary film in, in the UK. And John had teamed up with a guy uh, whose name is Greg Nugent. And Greg had run, had been the marketing director of the London 2012 um, Olympic and Paralympic Games. And he was super passionate about the Paralympics. So he had sought out John's help. And John kind of then came to us and said, would you be interested in this story? And, uh, and we were just immediately, you know, they, they gave us a sort of like a 10 minute teaser that outlined some of the elements of the story, including, um, including the, the story of the origins of, of, of the Paralympics. And also the, the fact that the last edition of the Paralympics in Rio almost got canceled. And, you know, we watched, the, we both watched the trailer uh, independently and just thought we could, that this could be a, a, a fantastic, we'd wanted to make a sports film um, after McQueen. We sort of like looked at various sports ideas, but there was, what was so interesting about this idea was it was sport plus human rights. And that was a very, to us, that was just such a compelling, uh, uh, compelling um, meld of different, of different aspects. And then there was the visual possibilities, which, you know, uh, Ian will talk about, I'm sure, yeah. as well. We, we, we immediately sort of like thought this could be a visually fantastic film as well. Yeah, Ian, I was thinking about the the, the connection or there is, thematically speaking between McQueen and this film. And there is something about spectacle in both of these films. It, it's sort of the that ability of yourself as filmmakers, but also the event itself to be beyond it it, it aspired it, it's an aspiring and aspirational event in both cases with mcqueen and and fashion but in also in olympics it's aspirational for all these people involved in many different ways is that part of the appeal for you yeah completely i think what peter said is perfectly correct and i think that i would just add that the the athletes personal stories really even the few examples or the few things we read made um, we knew that there was such an emotional struggle for so many people to reach a normal life, then to actually go on to compete on the world stage and become para uh, stars, para athletes is even, you know, that journey is even bigger. You know, when, if you do a sports film, you will look at the backstory or like when we did McQueen, his personal stories, personal journey, right. where he come from, his background, his family, some of the, the demons he had to fight. 
and we felt we could see that in loads of different facets in all of our all of our characters but to go back about the spectacle i think peter and i experimented a lot on mcqueen and in a way mcqueen was the perfect person to experiment visually as well and try to find a bit of visual language as well as a narrative language and i think um rising phoenix was the perfect occasion where the narrative was going to be extremely complicated you know it's 70 years of a, of a movement a sports movement which actually is a civil rights movement is you know he helps pushing the boundaries of um, the civil rights movement for people with disabilities and at the same time he had loads of little pocket of stories from all of the different athletes throughout the story we could have picked up people at each decade or each games and tell a story about them and it would have been extraordinary and any other directors would have told the film in a different way but what was really important for us is to connect with McQueen. And I think the, the two things we could rely on to connect visually and sonically was visually to try to still work those, you know, this almost the style we've done. So we, we work very deeply into the archive, but then we create some very high-end 3D imagery. And that's actually all the sculpture we use. You use we use them in the, in the title sequence, and then we develop them throughout the film. Um, we actually shot, we had a bit bigger budget than on McQueen on this one, so we actually shot set pieces with each of the athletes. Mm -hmm. And the other, I think, aspect where we, we experimented with in, 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 in McQueen, but we realized that actually to give an identity, um, when, you, when you make a documentary, it's a patchwork of many things. You've got interviews, or you might know interviews, but voice, voiceovers, interviews, archives from loads of different qualities, shots, things you shot yourself. But one thing we felt we could actually create an identity was the music. Mm. And, and in McQueen, we use Michael Nyman, and in Rising Phoenix, we work with Daniel Pemberton. And I think that's two of the aspects visually with the 3D and high-hand high -hand visual and creating those spectacles and those sort of climatic visual emotional moment and the music from Daniel Pemberton, which is obviously one of the great music composer, film music composer these days. Peter, I want to talk a little bit about the, the title, uh, Rising Phoenix, because there are, as you Ian alluded to, there's, there's a whole bunch of those examples. And it goes back to the founding of this from a Jewish doctor uh, in, living in Nazi Germany um, who saved the lives of many people before he, uh, he got out um, and how he 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 was a, a phoenix rising, if you will, from his life at, during that period of time to establish the Paralympics. Tell us a little bit about the origin story for for the Paralympics. As you've mentioned, you've outlined it very well. Ludwig Gutmann was a, a Jewish doctor stroke scientist, neurologist in, in, in Nazi Germany. And um, and. Uh, obviously, when the various um, anti-Semitic laws came into force in Nazi Germany, he was increasingly relegated to, um, to, 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 to working with just Jewish patients in an outpost um, in Germany. Uh, and, you know, and then finally, um, he got into a situation where he'd actually saved some uh, people who tried to protest against um, the, the Kristallnacht. Um, and he'd put the, he'd sort of taken them into the hospital and hidden them away. And so from that point on, he was a kind of, he was slightly a marked man. Um, 
and he uh, and he knew that that was the time to make good on um, on a call from Great Britain. Uh, Great Britain basically sort of like offering uh, scientists, doctors, uh, you know, a kind of a safe haven, Jewish scientists and doctors, a safe haven in the UK to continue their research and and, and their work. So Goodman came over with his family to the UK. And then the next part of the story really was that he was asked eventually to run a spinal injury unit. And of course, there were hundreds of soldiers coming back from the D-Day landings who were paraplegic. And in that time, it's, it's kind of hard to believe it. But in that time, basically, if you suffered paralysis, you were basically put on the human scrap heap. Uh, you weren't expected to achieve anything. You were basically pumped full of morphine and kind of left to die. And he felt that that was, um, you know, he was very sensitive to people who he thought were, having been persecuted himself, to people who were persecuted. He basically sort of like said, this is just not good enough. And he fought against the entire medical and scientific establishment of the UK at the time in order to do very, very simple things that would help to treat people with paraplegia and enable them to survive those critical first few weeks. And then he kind of had to think, well, and now I've got to rehabilitate them because what I want is to put them back into society, that they should have jobs, that they should have, they can have families. There's no reason why they can't have a normal life. And part of the rehabilitation process was was using sport, Mm -hmm. which was not done very widely at that time. I think there was some basketball in the States, but you know, very, very little. And so he was really the pioneer of using sport and rehabilitation and out of that came this crazy dream that he had that, that his daughter talks about beautifully in the film that you know one day why can't we have uh, an event like the olympics for people with uh, paralysis on the same level because that will be the ultimate way of showing the world that you should not differentiate that people with disabilities uh, can can do the most extraordinary things they, they can compete they can they, they're brilliant sports uh, they're brilliant athletes and that was a doorway into helping to adjust attitudes. So he was a remarkable man. And as I say, that story, although, you know, we use it in a sequence of flashbacks through the film. We don't tell the story chronologically and dwell too much on this. That was very much the sort of starting point. I think we were I, I think we were both in tears when we sort of learned about that story. And well, this is, you know, this is one of the great kind of human rights stories. And we knew nothing about it. And so, you know, it's kind of like one of those gifts from the gods that falls into your lap and you kind of then feel almost like a duty to, to sort of like find an effective way of telling that story. There was something playing in the background of the story for me, it's sort of in my mind about that part of Ludwig's story and the Nazis' use of eugenics. I mean, let's face it, these the people that we're talking about in the Paralympics, if we were living in a Nazi Germany world, they would they would never see the light of day. And so that was another part of the story that really touched me was the idea that this came out of a, from a society, not to, it wasn't their idea, but to to for, for Ludwig uh, Gutman to be able to pull out from their from a eugenics based society or at least aspiring to be this. This was just for me a, a real uh, emotional thread for me. We never found evidence that Gutman knew about what was happening with eugenics. I mean, we were very, very aware, obviously, ourselves. So it was a thread in our minds. But, you know, it turns out that what the British were doing was, although not quite as inhumane and cruel, wasn't much better. Yeah. Would you say, Ian? I think the, the, so Ludwig Gutman's story is a human story. 
I don't think it's actually in the film, but we find out Dr. Goodman's uh, dad was really high up in the German army in the First World War. And it's crazy, like, you know, the, the journey of one family can be really celebrated as a human being. And then suddenly, because some idiot bastard gets to power, the entire history of their family is not worth anymore. And I think it, for both Peter and I, you know, I'm first generation immigrant, I've been moved to the UK, despite, you know, it's within Europe and it's all lovely. Not Europe anymore in a few days. It's not Europe anymore. <laughs> you know, you come from, a, um, you know, your dad moved from, from Morocco, etc. And I think it echoes very much with us in the world we are in nowadays and, and the semantic of, of, you know, the orange president or our crazy prime ministers and stuff like this. Is this sort of, the immigration is no good or people from a different origin is no good. And I, again, that film, for us, it's typically, no, it's very good. Some of the greater things happen from people that have escaped war or, or have a complete different perspective. And I think human being with a disability, uh, the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry at the time when we first interviewed him, says it very well, is someone with a disability gets such a strong, not everyone, but some people with disability have developed such a strong mental outlook on life because they had to overcome so many problems, either from birth or actually through disease or accident, etc., etc., that they actually a benefit for society. They're a benefit for a corporation. They're a benefit for sport. They're a benefit for anyone. And how come we're still not aware that we should embrace it 100% because it just makes a better society. It's not, it makes it more efficient. It makes it more economically viable. It makes it more, etc. Not only just us tap opinions in the back, oh, we should give jobs to everyone. No, 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 no. They're going to get you company better. They're going to get you sport better. They're going to get you brand better if you actually sponsor them. And I think there's the, all those sort of interesting questions are always in our minds as filmmakers. And how do you hit the public? How do you get an audience to be so emotionally moved or visually inspired? hopefully both at the same time, where they're like, where was I for the last 20, 30 why, years? Why, why did I not notice this? Why haven't I not been paying attention? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you know, when we started working on it, I mean, neither of us um, has, a, has, a, has a physical impairment. Um, so, uh, you know, it was a learning curve and we employed, um, uh, 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 we employed a large number of people with disabilities because, you know, frankly, we they were the fantastic. They were fantastic within our team. Yeah, they were fantastic. But also they kind of like, they taught us a lot uh, and they made us notice and understand the world that they had to inhabit, which is very often a world in which they are isolated and pushed to one side and discriminated against. And, you know, I was noticing my second or third day, having met one of our, one of our core team who was in a wheelchair, I noticed that in London, there are, and this is the first time I've ever properly noticed it, there were, there's only a handful of stations that have wheelchair access. So if you are doing a journey into the centre of town to come to work, you have to kind of like, it's already hard enough taking public transport anywhere, you know, this pre-COVID world, you know, it's really, really difficult if you have, a, if you are in a wheelchair, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. So it was a sort of like, it was a big, to think about it even more. Exactly. And, and that was a, a huge learning curve for us. And I think we, which, which carried on right the way through production. And um, you feel you feel a kind of it's hard making a film anyway, because there's so much to keep in your head and there's so much that you want to achieve and all of that. But with this, we felt also, a, a, you know, a big responsibility to the subject. Going back to my eugenics thing, 
the the Germans were coming over here in the 30s to learn about California's eugenics program, just so, just in terms of history. So there's no, you know, this was a thing back in the 20s and 30s. And we here in California were apparently in our prison system, kind of in the forefront of that research. So, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around in, in all of this stuff. Absolutely. Uh, it's not a nation. It's not a nation's issue. It's a human issue. It we is. It's not because we belong to a country, a religious belief, or something like this. Because we're human. Right. <laughs> so, right. Um, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the co-directors of this remarkable documentary. Uh, it is playing currently on Netflix, and you should check it out. Called Rising Phoenix, and we're speaking with the co-directors Ian Mahot as well as Peter Adeke. And I totally feel of one of the film school rejects because I was a film school reject. So the title of your science just encompassed my uh, my origin story. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. Well, I I, I do want to you know there's about I think there's nine athletes that are sort of fo you focus on over the course of the film, and it would be impossible in the time frame that we have to go through all of them. And but I do there are so many compelling stories here. But for me personally, watching the film, kind of the emotional core of the stories that you tell regarding these athletes, and I could have picked any other ones, but for me, it's Bebe Vio just really, really uh, drove me in, not only to her story, but just uh, what, an, what a remarkable athlete she is. And, um, and watching her in that match at the end, near the end of the film is... Uh, it's an emotional roller coaster to watch her, and uh, I just I'm I'm just so taken by all. There's so many other stories, but for me personally, the one that kind of pulls me through is her. I think story. it's crazy sometimes where a character like Baby, we were we had very long list with loads of potential, you know, almost like cast list of potential athletes to to look into with the achievement, the sporting achievement, but as well a bit their origin story and the disability. And we, we, we looked at different disability, different gender, different countries, continent, etc. But what was special with Bebe is almost she jumped out. When we watched that final um, and the way she wins and the way she let her emotion out, it's just, it was impossible to, you know, it's, it's almost like he'll be on the, high, you know, the highlight reels of any sporting event for the rest of his story. Do you see what I mean? There's people yeah. crying stuff, but the guttural scream, especially she explained us all what was going on with the studies, the personal life, the sport at that moment, and that's what came out. And then the fact that actually she was a, a flame bearer in London, but she wasn't yet a sports person. So the idea of taking, she's taking us on a journey and we discovering a bit that movement through our eyes, suddenly men like, oh, she, she's that, core things and then we can attach things to that. She gave us the sort of spine of the story yeah. and she's remarkable you know we, we, we met her up for supper with her for the first time in uh, in, in Rome in a, in a restaurant she kind of comes and she lights she lights up any room that she's in she's got one of these you know sort of a joie de vivre um, you know an aliveness that is just amazing to see and uh, she she speaks English, she not fantastically, but she insisted on doing the interview in English, for example, you know, sort of like, <laughs> which was a nightmare because we then had to edit it so it made, it made sense. But she was a, you know, a, an absolute joy to work with as well. And we knew, I think, we never really sort of thought, oh, you know, there's one star above all the others, but we kind of had a sense with her, she, she was the original Rising Phoenix, 
you know, as Ian says, we could take her from the beginning to the end of the story and give her a kind of a, a, a real evolution as a character. And yeah, so yeah, she was very important to us. Actually, to go back to the true title of the film, I've decided to only make film for the name of my children. So my younger son is called Queen, so McQueen. So he thinks he's, he's, I chose that. And then my older son is called Phoenix. So many times when we're talking to Netflix, I was saying Raising Phoenix and Peter would have to correct me, no, we're talking about Rising Phoenix. You do the Raising of Phoenix, but it's Rising. Anyway, sorry. Well, Ian, you need more kids. You're going to have to get some more kids now. Oh, that's it. I'll have to do one. <laughs> we are. We can't stop there. We've got a lot more to make. <laughs> we I haven't even talked about the extraordinary visual look of the film. It just looks beautiful. I, William Pugh, as I believe you're a cinematographer, fantastic. Some of the, the slow motion, some of the different images that you bring in, in terms of sort of the, the uh, references to the Olympiad and those kinds of things are just beautiful to watch. It's a really special film. As yeah, we, we, Will actually was, uh, did McQueen as well. So he worked yeah. on the two film and we carried on. I think what, one thing we really love with Will, uh, Peter and I is, even if all the visual abilities is, is extremely good on the interview. You know, there's a lot of cameramen that don't think it's, it's that extraordinary because they want to use Steadicam or they want to use all their toys. But when a cameraman is as clever as the, you know, is as intensely involved in what the subject talks about and really cares so much about, there's a lot to be said about just watching an interview about the person you interview. And it's an understated art. It's, you know, it's almost like a sort of art house film where you just use static shot and close-ups. We only use wide shots and close-ups. We don't use medium close-ups or anything like this. And his, his attention to details on the art direction. We just spent two, three hours setting the shots before people walk in to make sure that the lighting and everything is... Then afterwards, visual side is, you know, the, the other visuals we've done, but yeah. Well done all the way around. Again, I want to let people know if you have Netflix, you can check it out there, Rising Phoenix. Uh, you have a production company, Misfits, uh, also, so I would, I've, I've got a link to that so people can keep an eye on you. That, that's great. <laughs> what you're up to. Yeah, we, we're on social media and all the rest of it if people want to, it looks like we might have a really busy year next year, so if people is any interested, they'll, you know, hopefully we'll be able to keep them abreast with everything. There's there's links to all of your uh, on on the Film School Radio website on Twitter on Instagram. Thank you so very much for your time today. The film is again is called Rising Phoenix, and we've been joined today by the co-directors in Bahot as well as Peter Etege. Thank you I, so. I one last thing is that Peter is on his first or second day of COVID. And he's still standing and doing the interview. I'd just like to give a special shout out to someone which might not feeling too good in a few days. And he's having his son isolating upstairs, which has got it and not and quite bad, but well, well done. We, we, we've had a, we've had COVID has come into our home as a very unwelcome guest this Christmas. Oh well. But, uh, as it has to so many. Um, yes. So yes. My my dad just lost his brother to COVID. So uh yes, yeah, so oh, it's yeah. uh it has touched so many people's lives. And now that you're going through some kind of a second variation of it, I, I hope that all is well in England. I assume I'm reaching you in England, am I? Yeah, we both in London. You are, yeah. yeah. It's a big thing happening, but you know, life goes on and we're gonna have to go on. We're gonna have to yeah. stay positive as as a race, as a human race, and we just gotta 
you know, it's been a tough year, but there'll be better years. You know, anyone that actually survived wars or, or genocides or anything like this, there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel every time. Well, thank you both. Thank you so much. And stay healthy and be thank healthy, you. okay? To both of you. Thanks very much. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Mike, thank Come you back. very much. It was a pleasure. Yes, and you've got, it sounds like you have some things coming up. So anytime, okay? Look Doors forward open. to it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music